Welcome to the King of Glory Lutheran Church Education Podcast. We are a Christian community of faith located in Williamsburg, Virginia. For more information, please visit us on the web at kogva.org. Welcome to all of you. As you come in, pick up a study guide. If you didn't get one, wave at me and we'll get you one. Do you need some? Yeah, we'll get one. Bring a couple of packs. Thank you. Okay. Again, we are in the Psalms for several weeks. We're not doing Psalm 101. We're doing like Psalms 101, Psalms 101. <laughs> and today's our second week. You'll see at the end of the handout that I've laid out where we're, where we're going the next few weeks. Next week, we have uh, Cheryl Wolf, our Director of Christian no, Community Engagement, DCE. Director of Community Engagement, Tara, will be teaching Psalm 23. We'll make a couple of references to that today, but maybe that might be a good thing to be thinking about for your own personal devotional time or study time this week. Then the following week, Pastor Chip Fraley, with his usual sense of humor, said he's doing Psalm 23 times 2 or 46. <laughs> <laughs> And as a matter of fact, if you were already in worship or you're going afterwards, you see that our youth are headed to Minneapolis for the National Youth Gathering, and the theme this week week for them is Real, Present, God, and Nick Butcher had sent us these study guides that those kids will be, and leaders will be using, because they're going to be studying Psalm 46. So we probably all ought to dive in. And maybe even we'll have learned something today, and we can pray Psalm 46 for them as they are gone. And then after that, so three weeks from today, three, Pastor Keener picks up the imprecatory, which are cursing psalms. Okay, so we'll, we'll get to that. And then Pastor Les Shano comes to us for three weeks leading us into the Lord's Prayer, and then Tara Wolf will pick, will tie it all together, our summer of prayer, with, uh, right now it's labeled, just our general label, destination, because it matters, but the life of prayer. So that's where we're going today. Um, I could find my clicker, there it is. So a quick, and I promise you we're going to slow down, especially the second half of today, slow down and buzz a little on some things, but... So we're talking. Okay. Our plan, what we've been doing is looking at the book of Psalms as a resource for us as individuals and corporately, looking at all the different types. We'll go through all that later and introduce us to the idea of praying scripture. And that's where we go today. That's, that's our goal to get there today because in addition to using the Psalms as part of your prayer toolkit, like the John Bailey prayer book that we have in our toolkit, my hope is that we as a community will be encouraged to begin to pray the Psalms as a way of listening for God, or pray any scripture but starting maybe with the Psalms, and that then you'd be, all of us will be more comfortable with, can you see from there, if this is in the way, you sure? Carol, okay. Um, that we see the Psalms as a resource. So, Last week we did an overview of the book of Psalms. We'll pick up a few details we didn't get to. And today, Psalms as part of our personal prayer toolkit. So, 
Let us begin. I'm so glad, Carol, you noticed that I like to use a psalm as our prayers. <laughs> Someone has paid attention. <laughs> but let's, let's lift up this portion of Psalm 119 as our opening prayer. If you read with me. Your word, Lord, is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. Your faithfulness continues through all generations. You establish your earth and it endures. Your laws endure to this day, for all things serve you. If your law had not been my life, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. I have sought out your precepts. The wicked are waiting to destroy me, but I will find your statutes to all if you began this morning with the John Bailey prayer for the seventh day, you might hear some thematic similarities because he takes us to that idea of creation that, that everything God has done for the life that stirs within him, for the earth and the sky, all these he lists also. And that's where the psalmist took us now, but then made it very personal with contention, the wicked out to destroy me, but I seek you. And I hope that's what we'll hear as we move through today. This, the underlying theology in the book of Psalms. So we'll get there. Okay, so this is the stuff we're going to do today. We'll, we'll just get into it. But I, but I should stop and say, oh, no, I should say... Please, everyone, introduce yourself again. I love it that you had us. Where's Debbie? There's Debbie that you had us do that, Debbie. So I think we're going to do that. Jim, just go around, say your name, and then we'll all, everyone who's even looking at the backs of heads will remember who's where. Jim Dobler. <laughs> Carol Dobler. Harriet Lounsbury. John Bookless. Jody Wallace. Bill Wallace. Ole Olson. Elizabeth Keller. Linda Davis. Alan Davis. Linda Nielsen. Travis Strand. Debbie Ward. Don Ward. Judy Bronson. Harry Bronson. Bob Staples. Pete Staples. Peter Lickman. Mary Hackney. Phil Keener. Larry Van Dorn. Hi, John McDermott. Jean Hartman. Sally Jack. Catherine Novak. Okay, thank you. Okay. So this we we will um, think about. But it did it, over this week it, when we get to this idea for you, anybody had thought you wanted to bring out a comment, a question, or should we just get into it? Okay, we will get into it. All right. So we generalized, and and I chose because everybody's list is different, including Luther's who will say that there are five types of psalms, but then he lists all these bolds as other types. And at the top in his, in his book, the book reading, reading the Psalms of Luther, he says, and some psalms may be in two or more categories. So there are many categories, but I think it's helpful to think in terms of three kinds, praise, plea, and complaint, okay? And just to slow down with the idea of praise, remember when Debbie had us do the acts, the acronym, Adoration for, for a prayer, for composing a prayer. Adoration, A. C, confession. T, thanksgiving. S, supplication. That's a, a really good way to think about organizing prayer if you're trying to figure out how you want to approach God because it starts with adoration or praise. 
which is different from thanksgiving. Praise is about who God is, his qualities, his integrity, just who who he has revealed himself to be, yes, in his actions. In fact, his very name, I am that I am, is basically a verb. So his being corresponds to his doing. But when we praise God, we praise him for who he is, then we get to thanksgiving about what he's done. And I'll, then I'll say with Luther, probably it can be, some things can be in two categories at once. But that's a way to be able to distinguish. But Thanksgiving certainly comes under praise. I think the instruction psalms often come under the idea of praise. Lament, we're going to get to today. We'll look at a lament psalm. We'll take some time to dig into it. Crying out in distress. And then, of course, Psalms of confession and forgiveness, they would probably be under plea, pleading to God. And then imprecatory cursing. Oh, those are complaints. <laughs> but sometimes they're directed to God and sometimes they're directed to people. The, and, and let me just say that right now. It, as we dig into Psalms, as you dig into Psalms more and more, I hope, don't don't let the changing voice or the changing direction of the voice confuse you. Um, the 8 o'clock, it used to be 8.30 in New Jersey. We lived there more years than we've lived here, so I still say 8.30. Or 8.15 used to be too. Um, our opening hymn was before you, Lord, we bow. Okay, but listen to the first phrases. Listen to the voice of this hymn writer, this psalmist. Before you, Lord, we bow. To God, right? So the verse is there. The nation you have blessed. To God. May every mountain height... It's a continuation of the prayer in the second verse. Verse 4. Earth, hear your maker's voice. All of a sudden, the psalmist has turned from praying to God, praising God, and turned to us and said, Hey, hey, you hear. And that happens in the midst of a psalm, too. In the midst of a psalm, we may hear God's voice speaking to us, we may hear the psalmist speaking to God, or we may hear the psalmist speaking to the community. Okay, and the fifth verse here, I'll just finish up. And when in power he comes, still talking to us as the listeners, as the, co the community who has joined in the hymn. So don't let that be a stumbling block when you yourself get into psalms because it's just, it's just poetic stuff. It happens right here in the LSV. And so it doesn't have to be something, but it can help us to hear, are we talking about instruction? Are we talking about praise? That's where we are. Okay, anybody want to make a comment? Yeah, Debbie. I'm not sure if that's the one, but one of the hymns that we sang this morning was by Francis Scott Key. Was it? I it didn't might, even notice. I can see. It might be that one. It would be right at the bottom. Yes. Uh-huh. Tebby, thank you. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? We always think of him as, the, of course, the Star Spangled Banner, but he had other ideas. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. That's, that's, oh, I love that. Okay. Yeah. Larry. I 
like to add one more sure. uh, category. I, I think some of the Psalms are instruction too. Yes, yes. And, and, and I think often those instructional ones go under praise, but they can sometimes be under confession. Yeah, mm-hmm. they, are, they are spoken to us as a people, and we'll see that today as we look at the Psalms. Thank you. That is so true. They are instructional. In fact, one of my old Bibles says that, and I can't remember whether it's Maskell or Mikdom, those Hebrew words, that even the Jewish Publication Society, Hebrew scholars say, we don't know what any of these mean, they're probably you know, musical or literary terms, and when, when two weeks ago when Pastor Frego in his sermon said that, whichever word that was, meant golden, and he looked at me and he said, well, you knew that, I said, no, and he said, no, no I didn't. That, that interpretation came in the 1700s, and the Jewish Publication Society scholars don't bother with them. They just say, we don't know. So these terms, but one of my old Bibles used to say that one of those meant instruction, but we don't know. Let's move on. Let's find out what we've got going. Ah, okay, I think we're going to talk about quirks. I think that's why I threw that in again. Quirks. Okay, we, we talked briefly, and if you page through your Bible and feel happy to do that as we're talking, just page through those psalms, you'll see. Some of the psalms addressed it to choir masters, to, to human, to or written by human, Ethan. Um, but there'll often be this musical term or even a tune. And I love it, you know, go in the evening or whatever it is, and lilies, and I always wonder what, what it sounds like. But they're actually hymns, just like we sang before the Lord we bow, and we sing something else at 11. And, and what we have in the Psalms is this book of poetry that's prayer, but that is also sung. So we get those quirks that we find that out. But here's the fun one for me. The, the Jews don't, the Jewish poetry, and we'll talk about that in a, in a little bit, Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme, not even in its original language, but they have a lot of fun, those writers, with structure. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But here, acrostics. Turn to Psalm 119 in your Bibles. And if, you, and if you're one of the Bibles, hold it up and say what page you've got. Okay, Psalm 119, the longest psalm in the Bible, <coughs> is so long because ev- I think I mentioned this last week, but let's look at it. Every stanza, let's call it, of eight verses starts in the Hebrew with the same letter. A, B, C. But it's not A, B, C, it's Aleph, Aleph, Beth. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. It goes on. Twenty-two letters in the Hebrew alphabet. So if this were in English, we'd have to have 26 stanzas, but we have 22 here. But think about it. How much easier to memorize something if you knew that everyone in Aleph started with A for your eight-year-old son or grandson to be memorizing. And so, and remember, these are prayers that were memorized. Surely when Jesus spoke Psalm 22 on the cross, it was because from the time he was little, those words had been internalized. In his humanity, Jesus studied the Psalms. So you have that. But Psalm 111 and 112, and this, this to me is hysterical. They, they don't go through all the letters, but in the Hebrew Bible, that's where you can see what they are. 
um, Latin Hebrew, based on Hebrew. I'm sorry, I should have had it open. Oh yeah, they do. They go through 22. Every line, not every verse, is, there's all the little letters, okay? And Psalm 112, I think it is, it's one of them, is actually famous sayings, traditional sayings. Like, think of those sayings your mom or your grandparents, or it was my aunt, Auntie Nor, would say, um, shut the door, were you born in a barn? Okay. <laughs> or um, what, what are some of the sayings your parents had? Your mom, just throw them out. Money doesn't grow on trees. There, everyone wants to start that. Money doesn't grow on trees. Think of us. Try to write an eight-verse stanza, or a tw- well, here, 11, 111 and 112, a 22-line poem using all of the letters of the Hebrew alphabet, or for us, 26 letters, and start. every one of them starts with the letter M would come, you know, a little more than halfway through mm-hmm. our... Our verse, the, in fact, the Jewish Publication Society notes, editors say, try doing this at a dinner party sometime. Yeah. <laughs> you know, to sit down and come up with all those things mom told you and then put together a poem, or better yet, a psalm based on... And, and there are many, many acrostics in the psalms. But that's what we get. We get structure. But it's one of those quirks. It's one of those quirks. And what I love is Psalm 119. All the verses. Eight verses times 22 letters, whatever that looks out to be. It's got to be something about 176. Yeah. All speak of the commands, the law, the Torah, the instruction, the teaching, the promises of God. And so that long, 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 long psalm, which is pretty much in the center of your Bible, says God's word is sufficient for anything. If you need something, if you need to hear from the Lord, open his word. And that's what we get in that psalm. Hmm. So let's move on. Unless you've got a, a comment? Yeah, Peter. Yeah, what, you had mentioned some of the psalms, uh, you know, sadly break and say, to be sung to the tune of. Yes, yes. Uh, is there nothing in uh, you know, the Jewish tradition, as their, their worship dates back so far, that they have any indication of what that tune might have been? Mm. We get some medieval, and I, and I know that because I, I have a, a, a Rashi, a Hebrew comment. I haven't read the whole thing, but every now and then, for something like this, I look up and see what he says. And he'll talk about our rabbis today say this, but, but we don't, I've never seen any, so they sometimes interpret something differently than, say, like the modern scholars. And that's why it's fun for me to go back and see what someone earlier said. But never have I found that they know anything about a tune. And of course, Okay, serious musicians here, you probably know when, well, it wasn't until, like, Gregorian chant even that we began to write notes on a staff, and that's, it's like, you know, it's Gregory 600s, 800s, somewhere in there. And that's very, very early, what do you call it? That's not notification, what is that? No, it's notation. Notation, Notation. thank you, yeah. 
musical notation. So no, Peter, I don't I don't believe anybody. I've never so, read that anybody knows what a tune would be. So a tune back then would have been passed on orally. Yeah, and so would so would the scriptures here. Yeah. Yeah. Not that they weren't written, but that they were written to be heard because everyone didn't have it. That's such a good question. Anything else? Debbie and <laughs> Oh, I just love this picture. picture. <laughs> I do too. Yeah. There are monks around that book. I know. <laughs> I do too. I do too. So let's go on. Okay, here's here's to me the most important stuff. And that is what are we, what <clears throat> the Psalms are not systematic. They don't ask a question and then try to answer it. You know, it's not catechetical, catechism stuff in any way. But they bring us into relation with God. And, and as my NIV study notes say, they are confessional. In other words, like when we say the Apostles' Creed and we confess our faith, or they may be, Lord, forgive me, confessional, but confessional, stating what's true and dialogical. They are God to me, me to God. Real God real person, real talk. They are conversant. And that's, for me, the chief benefit is that then the Psalms help me talk to God. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit, but let's go on. We're going to have the certainty of binaries. Good versus evil. Righteous versus wicked. Um, especially when you get to the other writings, Proverbs and stuff, but even in Psalm 1, you know, the fool, or Psalm, Psalm 2, the fool said it's in his heart, I can't remember where it is, no, it's farther in the teens. But um, the fool versus the one who is wise. There, there are going to be clear boundaries in the Psalms. And we'll talk about this more today. The idea of a hidden God and a revealed God. And of course for Christians, God is revealed in his incarnation in Jesus Christ and that's why the Gospels are so precious to us. Because he's revealed himself in Jesus. But he also is a hidden God. Just real quickly, turn to Psalm, well you don't have to, but Psalm 44 verses 20 uh, 23 and 24, and I'll read them from the NIV here. This is there, almost at the end of a longer psalm, a page and a half psalm. Awake, O Lord, why do you sleep? Rouse yourself. <laughs> okay? I mean, it, this could be Luther, right? <laughs> this, is, this is the psalmist who, it says, is one of the sons of Korah. They were Levites followed in the tradition. And as you've been going the, through the book, if you've been going through the book, you notice that the Psalms is divided, the book of Psalms is divided into five books, one through five. Again, Hebrew scholars are not sure why. The first book has Psalms of, oh, um, solely Psalms of David, but he's got a few others interspersed. Sons of Korah aren't all together in the same place. Um, we talked last week about Psalm 1 is a good preface or introduction to what this whole book is about. And those last four Psalms, 146, who's that, five Psalms? This is one of those SAT questions I always got wrong. 146, 47, 48, 49, 50. The last five Psalms, 
They didn't ask about the book of Psalms, but there were always those questions in the math part about how many are between this and that. <laughs> they are a great crescendo of praise to God. But why there are five books, a lot of scholars, Hebrew scholars, Christian scholars are saying they're based on the five books of the Torah, Genesis, beginning, you know, maybe, maybe not, nobody knows. In the end, nobody knows. But what we do know is that in the midst of them, we have real talk from these psalmists saying things like, awake! Why are you sleeping? Rouse yourself. Don't reject us forever. God, why do you hide your face? Ooh. We're not going to go into this one, but boy, if you're feeling like that, go back to Psalm 44 one day and see where the psalmist goes with such passion. Why do you hide your face and forget our misery and oppression? This is real talk between a real person and a real God. I, I mean, I'm thrilled that, the, that the, the teenagers are going off to hear about real, present God. Because that's who he is and who he has shown us to be when he reveals himself. But sometimes we face a hidden God. And we'll get into that when we look at a lament psalm. And then finally, for Christians, the psalms reveal Jesus. In fact, I want to read this because I'm afraid I'll forget this later. <clears throat> when Bonhoeffer is writing in the category, writing about the Psalms that are in the category of suffering, and he's got a multitude of types of Psalms also, he says, there are no theoretical answers in the Psalms to all these questions. The, the questions of why, why, you know, good God, bad world. <laughs> okay. Um, no, no theoretical answers to these questions, as there are none in the New Testament, Bonhoeffer says. The only real answer is Jesus Christ. But this answer is already sought thousands of years before, he didn't put, in the Psalms. It is common to all of them, to all of the lament Psalms, the Psalms of suffering, that they cast every difficulty and every agony on God. That's the psalmist's perspective. Why are you hiding yourself, God? I don't know. And I won't know. But I'm telling you this, I'm throwing this back at you, because you're the only answer. And of course, for the Christian, the only answer is Jesus Christ. We, <laughs> then, as though this is us speaking, Bonhoeffer has in quotes, we can no longer bear it. Take it from us and bear it yourself. You alone, God, can handle suffering. I mean, isn't that what we heard in the sermon if you were already there? You know, Isaiah 53. All our sins on Jesus. He bears everything. So when reading and we are confronted with these problems, binaries, Wicked, righteous, enemies versus friends. Hidden God who's not always revealing himself and it seems like he's sleeping, but we know he's not. Okay. All we do is turn with the psalmist to give it back to him. And so that that is basically I for me the theology <coughs> behind the psalms. Any questions, comments before we move on? Yes, Judy. This makes me think about the disciples in the back of the boat. 
I'm wondering if they had that psalm in their mind <laughs> when they went back there and, and shook the Lord and said, Hey, God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good, Judy. I hadn't thought of that connection. Wait, God's Lord. They might have. They knew the psalms as well as you say they do. They yeah. might have well have been thinking. They may have. I don't know if they all did, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Hopefully, Peter. Yeah, it also brings to mind for me the the face-off between uh, God and Baal in the story mm-hmm. of Elijah. Oh, Baal, hear us, yeah. Yeah, because uh, Elijah threw that to the uh, priest of Baal. Is he maybe, sleeping? Maybe he's asleep, arousing, arousing. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, he's, maybe, maybe he's in the public. Right, so I can, I, I can, I can imagine the, the priests of Baal using words like this. So, you know, the Psalms aren't necessarily <coughs> only unique to the Christian side or the, you know, the Jewish side, they must have been yes. something similar yes. on, on the pagan side as well. And often a note in a, a study Bible of some sort or another will say, this sounds like a Ugaritic uh, prayer or a, you know, yeah. What kind language? Of um, um, Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. Oh, yeah. I think that's where Ugaritic is. Yeah. Sorry, I should have said that. I remember reading. Anything else? But that's, that's such a good point, Peter. Okay, so now, let's move on. Okay, we're going to dig deeper. And here are some helps to digging deeper into a psalm. And, the, and we, we want to think this way because in this next half hour, we're going to dig deeper, hopefully into two psalms, maybe one and a half. Okay, first the context. Psalm 51, and you go there, and you. this is one very familiar to us. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your... Con- I know my transgressions, my sin is always before me. It's against you, and you only have I sinned. This is David, and it prob- I hope that Bible doesn't it have a, a, a little notation for the director of music, a psalm of David, and here comes the context. When the prophet Nathan, in 2 Samuel 12, came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Okay, we can begin to now hear this psalm differently than just a generalized confession, but a very specific confession. And if you go back and read 2 Samuel and see David's sin, um, the sins, okay, uh, covering up the sins, Sending Uriah off to battle to his death, specifically asking to have him put in the front lines, so he dies. Um, Adultery with his wife, which is why David wanted to get rid of him. Uh, You know, conniving with Uriah so that he'd maybe go in and sleep with his wife and cover this. I mean, just on and on and on. And then Nathan comes, the prophet and says, oh, and I remember our Trisha. She was the youngest one when we read that story. And Nathan comes and says, there's a man, one of our people. He's a wealthy landowner. He's you know, got thousands of sheep. However, he says that. I didn't go back and read it yesterday. But there's this one really special sheep. Okay? And he's insisted that his neighbor, who only has this one little sheep, give this up to him. And I remember Trish Eisman saying, so what did Nathan say was better? You know, what had David done? He's going to kill that little man. (laughs) And David hears that story about someone who owns everything and targets one little sheep 
of a poorer man. And Nathan says, oh, David says, well, we'll go get it. We'll, we'll take care of this. We'll bring justice to this story. And Nathan turns and says, you. <laughs> what does he say, Faith? You know. You are the man. You are the man. Cutting through all that stuff that David had been hiding. And it's that context that sets up this psalm. So, if, if you're reading a psalm as personal devotion and prayer, you don't have to go look it up, but at some point in studying it, it's helpful to see where does this come from. So context, if we're given context, and sometimes if you have a study Bible, even if it doesn't say it up at the top, they may say, we think this was when whatever happened. Okay. Next, the type of psalm. Sorry when the print goes somewhere to... Look for the indicators. For me, it's kind of like, you know, we've said there are plea, complaint, um, praise, or instruction, and, you know, all these things that can fit in. It's like going to the Hallmark store. I, although I don't know if there are Hallmark stores anymore. That may be dating. But going to the aisle that has all the greeting cards, you know, sympathy, wedding, you know, birthday, on, you know, just blank. Um, but you look for a few of those phrases, and they'll be similar in all the sympathy cards, there will be similar phrases. In all the birthday cards, and maybe the humorous ones, maybe the, but there will be similar phrasing. And that's what we do when we, when we look for the psalm. So go to Psalm 51. Let's just start there. We'll just hang there for a minute. We just, we could just, it starts out, have mercy on me. Okay. We know this is a plea to the Lord. Okay. Let's go to 52. Just look at the first words. Why do you boast of evil, you mighty man? Why do you boast all day long? You are a disgrace in the eyes. God will bring you to ruin. It says, uh, you know, this is some sort of a complaint, Psalms, right? Psalm. You turn the page. Well, I have to turn the page. 53. Oh, that's what it is, 53. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. This is what Larry was talking about, a psalm of instruction. And this division. They're corrupt, they're ways. Okay? 54, save me, O God, by your name. Right away, in the first line of each line or two of each poem, we get an indication of what type of psalm we're going to be reading. So we can know, okay, if, if you are going to the psalms one morning, one evening, for comfort in some regard, and you, and you get to one of these, that is where I am, okay, move on. Find one. There'll be one very quickly. There'll be one. Just like in the Hallmark store, the aisle, you can find sympathy, but you can also find birthday, and you can find humor. You can find what we're looking for for different occasions, and the Psalms will be there. Hebrew poetry. Okay. Hebrew poetry built on a structural form. I don't, I don't know Hebrew, and that's why I love having our, our pastors, our scholars in the midst who do. I'm not going to ask you to <laughs> read us anything. But there's, in Hebrew poetry, I'm just trying to say I don't know Hebrew. And it's so good when somebody does. But what I do know is what I read, and that is Hebrew poetry is structured. First of all, you will notice most lines, as in most poetry, are short and sweet. Okay, Poetry gets rid of un- needed language. Prose, you know, the Apostle Paul, how many lines? 15 lines for a sentence. 
I'm sometimes accused of that by my husband. <laughs> but, but a poem will use imagery, metaphors, sounds, alliteration, something, helping us to hear, but will usually be fairly brief in the way it presents an idea. We will also have couplets, or, or, or maybe three lines, that relate to one another. Sometimes they will, the first line will say something, and the second one will repeat it in different words. Go back to, we looked at Psalm 1 last week. Just, and, and, and these are the words. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, a repeating, or, or maybe an amplifying, or sit in the seat of mockers. Three different ways to paint a picture of this person who avoids these ills. Okay, So the structure is what makes this Hebrew poetry work. We, it's not a couplet, it's a tri, triad or something, whatever you call it, a trio. Mm -hmm. All parallel. And in the parallelism, we may find a contrast. Okay, we get that next, but, in his, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. On his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water. So the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season. Okay, still the water image, you know, fruit coming. And whose leaf does not wither. All of a sudden we have contrast. Poetic imagery contrast. And sometimes just the amplification, showing us the picture again. So that is some way we might do it. Oh, we could have looked at last at our opening song, but we didn't. We're going to move on. Okay, does that seem to make sense? <laughs> so that's what we will find often in the poetry. So we can use the context to help us understand, not just understand what was going on, but understand where I might identify with something. We can use the type of psalm, those opening words usually show us, and then understand and just get over that it's poetry, and that it's metaphor and it's imagery, but fairly simple. In fact, here's what I love to say. It's not so odd of God to choose the Jews because, now it's not going to rhyme, because he's got a language that can be translated. I mean, it's, he's got a language that can be translated even its poetry doesn't have to be changed in order to work. It's structural. The, the translators didn't have to try to figure out how to rhyme the first three lines or... A, B, A, B, you know, whatever. We, we've got a poetry that can be translated. And then, the last thing in trying to dig into a psalm, what do I learn? What do I learn about God? What do I learn about me? Okay, Psalm 51 with David. We learn with David that I am a terrible sinner, and no matter what I've done and against whom I have sinned, in the end, the real sin is because I've sinned against you and you only, O oh Lord. And that's that's the kicker. So that's what I learned about me in Psalm 51. And what do I learn about God? God, I find out that his mercies go on and on and on. And he offers forgiveness. 
once again in my life. Same thing. What do I learn about God? What do I learn about me? Comments? Ways this has touched you when you've read? Let's go on. Okay. Luther's interpretations. I'm going to do this quickly. I think, did I put that on the handout? I think so. On page two. Yeah. So, Christocentric. Yes. We find Jesus. Five types we talked about. All of them, if you if you choose to purchase that book, which I have on a Kindle, so I only brought it this way, but I do like it. Um, Concordia Publishing House, Reading the Psalms with Luther. For the first 30 or so, I can't remember what number he stops, he, um, I, think it's, yeah, I can't remember what his price is, um, he ties each one to a commandment or more and a petition of the Lord's Prayer. So it's going to be interesting for us to have looked at several weeks on the Psalms and then move into the Lord's Prayer with Pastor Santa. And, and when he gets to 30 or so, 30, 32, I can't remember, he says, okay, that's enough. I'm not going to do this anymore. You get the point. Okay? <laughs> Taking you through 30 Psalms, folks, and I'm now showing you how to listen for how this a commandment, this you know, connects with a commandment or with a petition. You've got it. But I do like it that that's what he does. And then, let's remember, Luther prayed the Psalms. He prayed five Psalms every day and said you can go through the whole book. Is that right? You, you go through the whole book in two weeks, and he's got a chart at the end of that book on how you can go through. And it had to do with odd-numbered liturgical weeks, and even I just go, if today's the seventh day, I do 31 to 35. Okay, because it's seven times five is thirty-five. So end on that. If I miss a day, this is why one of the reasons I do it is because then I don't feel like I have to go back and catch up. Where was I? Oh, today's the tenth. I'm going to do forty-six to fifty. And they, they don't always hit me, but there will always be one in that five that I say, and that's the thing I jot in my journal or in my Bible. So I don't want you to read my Bible. <laughs> now wait one dead and gone, and the kids can have the Bibles, <laughs> but um, and see what mom was confessing or who, for whom she was praying. But but Luther, as an Augustinian monk with Augustine, prayed the Psalms. How and why? See, that's the question. Okay, I'm going to turn this light off for just a little. Let me turn it off. I think so. Or is it smart? It won't let us. I don't know how to do that. Look at this. I just love this one. It's a, you know, 1200s or so. It's at the Getty Museum. New song. Okay, what do you see? What's going on there? Oh, good. We have an art expert here, too. <laughs> and I don't even know if it's a great... Some, a friend of ours, I think... No. Actually, one of Jean's cousin's wives in California said the Getty Museum... What did she call it? The best of the worst is what the Getty Museum has. Now, everyone may not agree. <laughs> This guy's out to the side. Oh, I almost made it go. Out to the side, doing what? Listen. Where? What's he listening to? Where? Where? I'll, I'll assume it's a he. What? Where do you think the? Where's the action here? Over. The readers. The readers, but where do you think it is? Where are they? Probably inside the temple. The synagogue. The synagogue temple. Heaven. Heaven. This is Jesus on the throne. Blessing us. The 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 um, inscription is where did I put it? Uh, Revelation 
14 that connected to Revelation 14. If I could get there. Oh, I hope I'm right. 14, 6, something. Well, that's wrong. Okay, anyway. Um, <laughs> it is 14, 3. <clears throat> the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps, and they were singing a new song. 14, 3. They were singing a new song. That, oh, that's the title of it. Before the throne and before the four living creatures and before the elders. Then it, these are the symbols for Matthew. Matthew is a winged man or an angel. Make this thing move. Mark, a lion. That's another story. That's a fun story. Luke, an ox. Winged ox. And John and Eagle. So that's the imagery of the four apostles, or the four gospels <coughs> around. And you see all these singers, yes, lots of singing. And what are they singing? They're singing a new song to God, Jesus, on the throne. Because, oh, I shouldn't have had this here. If I can go back. And, I, and Larry showed me last week. Oh. Ta-da. Oh, no. Just wipe your finger like you were turning a page. Exactly. Just sweep a finger the way And this is the Lamb who is victorious. Thank you, Larry. The Lamb who is victorious. So they are singing about his victory. Now I'm going to go back to this because I'm so comfortable with it. So they are singing a new song. But this guy over here is listening in. And that's what I think the Psalms do for us. Because if we pray... now. I'll turn the lights on. If we pray scripture to God, we automatically hear what his will is because his word reveals his will. We get an ear to heaven, okay, to what they're singing, to what truth is. Real God, real truth, real God, it's about truth. And we get words and a voice for prayer. So that's the why to pray scripture, I think, is because we get an ear to heaven. We get a voice. We, we get an insight into how we ought to pray, what we ought to pray about, because the scriptures reveal God's will. Next, in your toolkit, the men's breakfast last week, was it last week, on a Saturday, and Tara Wolf introduced, I think it would be introduced, Lectio Divina, one way of praying Scripture of diving into the scripture, and that's like, and I think I put it in, is um, lectio, which is reading the scripture, and you usually read it every time you're moving into a new portion. Then what's next? Um, is it med- it's not meditation. meditation? Yeah, meditation is next. Just dwelling there, chewing the cud is what that term means. Okay, then letting it go to the next stomach, chew it again. Yeah, next stomach. Then praying it, oratio. Then contemplate, and I've been part of a Thursday morning, and anybody could have been part, but there are a few of us who have joined Deaconess Roby Hill House praying for the LCMS and our district on Thursday morning. We meet on our phones at 7 a.m. and pray the scripture for the coming, the gospel for the coming week. And we do that in order to get God's insight into what to pray for our synod as she goes into convention. So this is a beautiful way, and we always read the scripture three times, so that we hear it again and again, moving through the idea of praying, meditating, contemplating. Contemplating is usually then, what, God, what do you want me to do about this? And then, 
I loved it. Um, he's now president of the New Jersey District. Gene and I sat in a, a, a group with him for a couple of years, and he taught. Luther also had a fifth step he thought was important, temptatio, temptation. The struggles that come are the way, then, that this is lived out in a prayer life. But we're not going to do Lectio Divina. I like what Luther does. He's got a four-fold strand. Listen, he wrote to his barber. He wanted to know how to pray, the scriptures. And he said that he wrote this about the catechism, but since I know Luther prayed the scriptures, I'm assuming this is how he prayed the scriptures also. And his barber wouldn't have had the scriptures in a small catechism, okay? I divide each portion into four parts, thereby fashioning a garland of four strands. I think of each portion as first instruction, like deal, which is really what it is intended to be, and I consider what the Lord God demands of me so earnestly. Listen to the scripture. That second, I turn it into thanksgiving. Third, a confession. Fourth, a prayer. So he's got four steps, and that's what we're going to do. Okay. So he says, ponder the instruction, give thanks, turn it into a confession, and ask for strength and encouragement in whatever area this is. So turn to Psalm 13. We will take our last, well, we'll do eight minutes on Psalm 13. This is a psalm of lament, and there's a classic form of grieving. Some psalms of lament don't take this form but most, especially if they're shorter, do. There's an invocation. Oh, God, hear me. Uh, then the petition. Here's what's going on that I'm not happy about. Then the argument to God for why he ought to do, why he ought to let you win the lottery. If, you haven't been, if you've been there, you know what I'm talking about in the sermon. And then a confession of confidence. So let's move through Psalm 13. What's next here? So let's, would someone be willing to read? And we'll divide it into, uh, oops, there it is. The first, yeah, verses one to three. Would somebody be willing to read that? And then our people at home can hear a voice other than mine. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes, or I will sleep in death. Thank you, Mary. Anybody been there? Mm. How long? Times four. I remember hearing a teaching once. I don't know if it was a video or an audio. Uh, it was on he- the, the language of the Hebrew. And... Uh, the, the teacher was saying, and there's a part, and I can't remember where it is in the in the scripture from the Old Testament. Somebody falls into the Hebrew says a pit, pit. Said they didn't. There's no word in Hebrew to say this is another word that means a ginormous pit. So a Hebrew will repeat the pit, pit. Okay, holy, holy, holy God. The repetition. And here, how long? How long? Come on, how long? And did you hear me? How long? This is one of those rouse yourself. Okay, let's go on. Who would, who would read seven, uh, uh, through verse 
Anybody who will read? Okay. Harriet, are you? Oh, thank you. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Thank you. <coughs> okay. Where, you hear the invocation, right? What's the invocation? Somebody read it out, out loud so our folks at home hear it. So calling on God, what's the first line that's called? What is it? How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? And it repeats and repeats, okay? But it gets into the petition. What's wrong? Right? But then you hear the argument. There's this argument to God, giving him a reason. You know, if you if you don't do this, I'm gonna sleep the sleep of death, meaning, and the scholars say what this means is death that doesn't know you in the end. We might think in terms of hell. The Hebrew doesn't talk about that here. But the total separation from the goodness of God. And but then the real argument, and my enemy, whom we must agree, Lord, is also your enemy, will say, Ha ha, I've overcome him. And your foes, my foes and your foes will rejoice when I fall. Okay, so there's the invocation, calling on God, the petition, what's wrong, what's the complaint, the argument, but where does it go? Look where it goes. And every one of them, if you go into the, the Psalms in the early 40s, uh, it's 42, 43, maybe, 41, 42, 43, I'm, I'm trying to remember. These complaints, these pleas, these laments, yet will I hope in God. And I, for me, that sums up the Psalms. Yet will I hope in God. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. And the Hebrew scholars say, yeah, you really can read it as may my heart rejoice in your salvation. Still a little bit of a prayer. And may I sing to the Lord. There's a little bit of for he has been good to me. Did you hear where it started? How long? You're going to forget me forever? Oh, yeah. You've been so good to me. So how could we take this? Let's take two minutes. I was hoping we'd gather in small groups. Where in this psalm, let's go into the prayer parts, not the instruction. We know what we're hearing. What could we ask the Lord for? What could we thank him for with Luther? Those four strands. Okay. What, what could we be thanking him for? Where do you see something in here that we could thank the Lord for? His unfailing love. His unfailing love. So, so <coughs> I'm reading this in my personal devotional time. I might do just what you're saying, Mary. Get to the end, having pondered it, read through it a couple of times, heard where the psalm went, how I identify, let's say, thank you, Lord, for your unfailing love. Okay? Anything else in there you would want to thank the Lord for salvation? For my salvation. Thank you, Lord. Can we all join in saying that? We hear, we gather as the body of Christ, we thank him for his unfailing love, we thank him for his salvation, which this psalmist, in the midst of, 
it sounds like a pretty desolate time for him. He's saying, thank you for salvation. Where, and I'm not asking you to confess publicly, remember we are online, but, but where would you be prompted to pick up some words here to confess your, my, our, un, our own failings? Where are some words? Where does the psalmist give us a voice and an ear to help? Go ahead, Peter. Yes. And say about ninety percent of this is is complaint and and searching for help. And then at the very end he wraps it up, even though I don't see it. I, I'm trusting. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of a song that we sing periodically in, in the congregation. Uh, it's that uh, writing that was found on the wall that one of the concentration camps after the war. Mm-hmm. I believe in love, even though I don't see it. I believe in God, even though I don't hear him. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what I hear David saying, too. Mm-hmm. You know, how long, O oh Lord? I don't see you. Uh, how long uh, does my suffering go on? But even though I don't see it, I, I trust in your faithfulness. And so we, I, you can turn this back to the Lord with those kind of... T- Pastor Peter, and I think Judy had something too. So go ahead. The um, opening phrase of verse 2, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Yes. Um, I've had a struggle with OCD occasionally. In truth, the thoughts are just horrific. And you struggle with that. And the more you try to suppress them, the more they come. So that, that really mm-hmm. is morning God. So Lord, I confess to you that I let my thoughts take yeah. over rather than your thoughts. Oh yeah, your thoughts are higher than my thoughts. Your ways are higher than my ways. I think that's Isaiah, right? Isaiah 55? Yeah. Intrusive, yeah. Judy, were you going to say something? I was kind of turning the idea of a journal prayer journal yes. around my mind and it makes me think that this might have been David's prayer journal. Yeah. But he maybe didn't want anybody to see until after <laughs> until after it was all over. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. And what and yeah, absolutely. And that and that's the kind of stuff I do in my either in my Bible that I'm yeah. in or yeah, in my journal. Yeah. Briefly. So, so I guess in the long run David's showing us that it's okay to share those kind of thoughts with God. Real talk. I mean, let it let it hang out because God's going to be there. And He knows it anyway. And He knows it because that's what that's what this is really about. Is my finally agreeing with God about what the reality of anything, or maybe not even agreeing, but just falling asleep. Well, yeah, right, right. Yes, yeah. Psalm one thirty one. Then what? Oh, Sally. Yes. Um, this song reminds me, and I think a lot of them work this way, a good psychological ploy, or if you're dealing with angry children, or you're just listening to a friend vent, <coughs> when they get it all out, they come to a self-awareness. Oh, that's right. God loves me. Yes. Yeah, it is. It is kind of just getting it all out, isn't it? Yeah, thank you. So in the end, then, what could we... What could the final, the contemplative, the, the where do we go from here prayer be 
asking God to encourage me, to help me with whatever situation it is for whatever wonder or salvation, his graciousness, his unfailing love, my thoughts, whatever it is, I can then wrap up the prayer, like Luther is saying, giving it back to him and asking him to encourage. When I was young, we were really young, we lived in our first real house, a branch, and I remember I was in a season of, I mean, the Lord was really convicting me of sin, and I finally got to the end of my prayers, I would always say, Holy Spirit, nag me. Okay? Just bring it right in front of me, immediately. If if you see me doing one of these things I'm confessing, just be a nag. Confront me right away. I mean, and that was the ask, that was the encouragement. I didn't know how to, I didn't have, I didn't know that I could use the Psalms as a voice and as words to pray. So that's what we get in this divinely you know, authorized prayer book, Kim book, is an ear to heaven, automatic insight into God's will and his ways, and then words to voice those prayers. We don't have time to do this, but if you go home and want to look at one, look at the revealed God. That was the hidden God. The revealed God in Psalm, Psalm 19, which uh, is, is what's going to be fun to do. You know, the heavens declare the glory of God. You probably know that one, but it ends with, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in my sight. You know, my strength and my redeemer. See how it moves through. Or go to Psalm 23, which we're going to look at next week with Tara Wolf, and think about how the psalm moves and shows a revealed God. Uh, Remember that Athanasius encouraged the people of his day to be in the psalms, mostly because in every one of them, you learn about yourself. What I learn about God is pretty consistent, and what I learn about myself is pretty consistent. <laughs> and then the other one that, that you know, Bonhoeffer said, the chief reason to be praying the Psalms is because Jesus died on the cross with the words of the psalm on his lips. So let's close our time together. I ran over again. Close our time together with this psalm. You are my portion, Lord. I have promised to obey your words. I have sought your face with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your promise. I have considered my ways and have turned on my steps to your statutes. I will hasten and not delay to obey your commands. Though the wicked bind me with ropes, I will not forget your law. in God's sight. Next week, Psalm 23 will be a good one to be looking at. 
Thank you for listening to the King of Glory Church Education Podcast. Our mission is to connect to God and His people, grow in faith and love, and live through service and sharing. Visit us on the web at kogva.org.